Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I'm so happy and grateful to have Dina here with us today, who brings more than 25 years' experience in sales, marketing, leadership, and coaching. She is dedicated to pushing her team and clients forward to their best performance, best outcomes, and best life. She believes your best life begins in your mind. Starting out in the HIV market in bioscience field and pharma sales in the early 90s, and then practicing gastro... Dina, you're going to have to help me out with that word. Gastroenterology, yeah. Gastroenterology. Boy, it rolls right off the tongue. As a physician assistant for nine years, she's since retired active practice, but continues to be a passionate advocate for holistic health and integrative wellness. Choosing to be a stay-at-home mom led her back to the flexibility of sales and network marketing. Since 2009, she's been a top leader and founding member of Touchstone Crystal by, how was that, Swarovski? Swarovski, the at-home jewelry division of Swarovski USA. Her team is 3,000 members strong nationally with sales of 16 million in 2019. Continuing with personal growth in 2012, she took on coaching and became certified by three coach schools to include Coach Training Alliance, which is accredited by the International Coach Federation. Other mentors include Brendan Burchard, Jack Canfield, and Tony Robbins, all well-known in the high-performance business space and self-improvement. Her practice incorporates one-on-one coaching, small business coaching, mentorship, masterminds, workshops, and retreats. She's a co-author of two books in the feminine empowerment space, Rise Amazing Woman Rise and Lead Amazing Woman Lead, and many other trainings, podcasts, and published work. He is a single mother of three amazing teens who are truly her best teachers. She is motivated by the circle of learning, challenging herself, and giving back to others. Dina, welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Jesse. What a gift. Handful yeah, of Hope is. You know, I, I always tell people that I learn so much, and one of the things I realize I learn in every one of these interviews is how to pronounce some complicated words that I don't necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The gastroenterology just rolls right off the tongue, too. I know. It's not an easy word. I remember when I was at Penn State, um, my father's a physician and my grandfather was a physician. And so first, before I talk about the Penn State story, let me tell you that I used to spend time like this is what I would enjoy. This was my enjoyment. My father's practice had a room that was about four foot wide by 10. So it was this long, narrow room where he would put his his drug samples, pharmaceutical samples, but also all of his New England Journal of Medicine. Okay. I would go in there and I would literally sit for hours pulling off the New England Journal of Medicines. Didn't know, I was 12, didn't know 10, 11, 12, didn't know what I was actually reading, but I was like filled up with these words. Fast forward, I'm in Penn State and I went to the um, health clinic and I said to her, I think I have a gastroenteritis. And she looked at me and she said, said, what? And I was just like, and today, to this day, people go, you're wait, you're far too, you're far too heady or wordy or cerebral for me. <laughs> but anyway, so I've had to ratchet that back a little bit. At 10, 11, 12 years old, what compels a 10, 11, 12 year old to go and read medical journals? Because I can't imagine those are particularly light reading. And I think about me when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, I was reading Goosebumps, you know, yeah. little like mystery movie shows or something like that. Like, yeah. What is it about that that compels um, you? know, that's such an awesome question. And I think, you know, I remember significant, that significant memory that I had, I have a, I have a purpose and I was reading stuff 
because I was drawn to the idea of healing. Mm. So, you know, it, if it was not that journal, it was like, I remember Discovery, I, m- I remember an article in, in Discovery Magazine that talked about um, being able to turn on and off our oncogenes. I'm, I'm literally 14 years old, I remember that one, where I was like, huh, okay, so how do I get, my, how do I get people to turn off oncogenes? And if we've got this, this is like far before we had the genetic material that we have today, the, you know, the genome that we have 10,000 genes today, you know, it was 50 now. (laughs) But so I kind of always had this thing that led me to this feeling that there's this universal story about self-healing and the power that we have in self-healing. So I don't know. I don't know what possessed me during that time. Maybe there was a part of me that, that wanted, I enjoyed having conversations with my father because that was our thing. Um, and I remember graduating from Penn State, I really wasn't ready. I took the MCATs, I was gonna go to medical school. I wasn't ready to make that commitment, the eight to 10 year commitment to be the surgeon, the neurosurgeon, right? I worked in my father's office and I noticed that these drug reps were coming in and out and they were having conversations with my dad. And I thought to myself, and I was very protective of that. Hmm. If they're having conversations with my dad, then I want to be a drug rep. Hmm. You know, and it was just a beautiful um, unfolding as I look back of, you know, being in this, these spaces that I was able to do really some amazing things across the span of my career in life. When you- because of that feeling of, I want to heal people. When you had the feeling of, I want to hear people, I'm curious, were you aware of the purpose that you have at that time? And if you were, did you have the language for it? Or was it kind of like just a, and I asked because I remember being like nine, 10 years old and having this sense of knowing literally move through me as if it was, you know, the language I had at the time was God, God, spirit, universe, whatever it was, like something divine saying to me that you are here for a very specific reason. There's something special for you. I'm just curious because I think it's such a extraordinary behavior that you're going and making that choice. And I see on one hand, like the little girl wanting to bond with her father, but the fact that you said the purpose piece, were you aware? Because my theory is, is that a lot of people, well, everyone has a purpose. And I think our purpose speaks to us at different times. It's just, we've learned to ignore it. Exactly. Brought out with all the nonsense of life. And, and I think it's so great if, when people mention stories like this, because my hope is, is that it can inspire people to rewind their own clock and think back to their 10 year olds, little boy, 12 year old little girl, and think about what they were doing when they had that feeling too. Totally. Agree. I feel like we've in our formative years, and I just did a, a talk on this this morning or Monday morning. It was about getting back to the root of you. And you guys, you know, Jesse's amazing. Hello. He's bringing us together to be able to pause and look inward. And this would be an example. And I said, I think that in the first 10 years of our lives, we really knew who we were if we were listening, right? And we spent the next two, three, four decades forgetting. Now we've got this big pause, put the pause button on to go back to that. And that's, I totally 100% agree with you. I I think I was also very spiritual. I was brought up Catholic um, and I was really like, Jesus is definitely my archetype guy. He's my man. 
Mm. And um, I don't totally recall experiences where, um, you know, I heard or felt vibrationally or emotionally, spiritually that I was meant for something special, for sure. That doesn't mean though, that I clearly in my 20s or 30s, I mean, I certainly did wonderful things. I, I had, meaning I wasn't, I wasn't the perpetrator of wonderful things as much as they came to me, right? You know, but now I'm looking back and going, okay, it's time. It's my time now. It's really my time. And now I've been given a lot of gifts. What, how do I want to use those and package them for more people? And, and every single person listening to this podcast right now, or this, you know, interview right now can do the same exact thing. Hmm. Where do we go to find our gifts? Mm. Well, we go back to childhood. Number one, we absolutely, you hit the nail on the head. We absolutely go back to childhood and we, we sort of try to string together the ahas, you know, that we've had that we may have forgotten. You know, like I go back to, um, I was, I remember this clearly. And most people, by the way, do not pause, literally pause. They don't have a framework of this, for example, like, you know, I mean, not everybody gets a coach (laughs) and the coach is the person that can bring that in and give some guidance and direction, direction and some architecture. If not, we're flailing for another 10 years. So I guess even before you go back to the childhood, you know, maybe you get someone who can be an accountability partner. Maybe you get someone who can speak to you in some way, you know, we're the product of the five people we surround ourselves with. Right. And so I'm a single mother. So, you know, I'm not necessarily hang. I'm a, I mean, I've been a mother for 20 years here. I'm not necessarily hanging around with top level people until I go to a conference. So what do I do in between? Well, I make sure I'm surrounded by good books, good reading, and good people like you on a regular. So, and have your own coach on occasion. So first you, first you believe in yourself enough that you know that you can't do it alone. Right. That's the first thing. And then you see, okay, well, who can I bring in to help inspire and hold me accountable? And then the architecture is to go back and pause and look at those. I remember when I was three and four, I would be dancing for all the Italian elders for my Italian town, Rosetto, Pennsylvania. Okay. And Rosetto, Pennsylvania was the um, subject matter of Malcolm Gladwell's out first chapter of Outliers. No kidding. Yep. Yep. And I would dance for hours. I'm three and four. I remember it in the living room at my grandmother's home and it was all the elders. And I really had that old soul bond with them. It was amazing. So I was performing, right? And if I look back and all the reflection that I've done, almost every job that I've ever done, I felt that I was there to entertain, perform, light up, be on stage, and, and, it, and it continues throughout today. That would be one example mm. of how you can go back far and find your, find your passion, find your fire. I think that's so fascinating to hear that. And, I, and I, I'm curious what your thought might be on this. Being a mom of three kids, especially teenagers, you can attest to this much better than most can that kids sometimes have very selective memories 
and they have a very unique, shall we say, filter system where they might filter out the 98% of the great stuff and hone in on the 2% of the not so great. The tragedy of this is, is that sometimes I think we can come to define our childhoods by some of the trauma or the experiences we go through. And I, I want to I cover that whole spectrum here for a moment. You know, for people who might have gone through some really challenging times as kids, and so when they think of childhood, it, it almost brings up some pain for them. Where, would, where might they look within their childhood to still find those moments? Because I think that's such a beautiful example. And I believe that everybody, even in those most traumatic of upbringings, they have those moments too. They do. They do. It's such a good point. Um, it's, it's so powerful. In, in fact, this is what all my work is about, really. The reason that I was so clear in delineating that story to you, right, is because I did the work through the pain. So I actually, you know, did that really tough work. And that's what we're, you know, here to encourage you. We're, we're giving hope to all those folks that are listening that you can get back to those joyful moments. It's really through the doorway of forgiveness. So whatever, whoever, um, you know, we, were, we kind of were robbed a little bit. You know, like you mentioned, teenagers or their voice and their their free joy and, and you know their happy-go-luckiness is, is have been kind of robbed along the way. Maybe it was me that did that to my child, or maybe it was the teacher, the you know the nuns. Maybe it was the institute of marriage. Maybe it was you know dating. Maybe it was their first boss. So you know maybe they were bullied at age thirteen, and or maybe their father flucked you know flicked uh, cigarette butts at them and beat them silly, and and that's so incredibly painful clouds the joy so if we're going to go back and get the joy you've got to go through a doorway and the doorway is forgiveness and that's a process that's a process that i absolutely am privileged as we were talking earlier about you know me having a sort of a purpose of healing and that's really what I do. So even though I'm not practicing gastroenterology, I definitely believe I'm a mind surgeon. So I can go back in there, help remove some of that painful stuff. So, you know, if we had a wound, imagine everybody, listen, you have a wound on your skin and it's deep and it's red and it's fiery and it's infected and it's got pus and it's draining and all that good, right? You wouldn't put a Band-Aid on that. But we do that over decades. We put Band-Aid after Band-Aid, after new, new um, addiction, after new addiction. Um, and we wonder why that thing is still festering. Well, so what, what I love to do and what my passion and, and gift is, is to get in there and get it out. And now you have a hole. So what do we put in there now? If you leave a vacuum, a hole, which is a you know, universal vacuum, it will replace itself with the same stuff, unless you replace it with something that's healthy and healing and we can go back and get the joy and replace it. Mm. And then it will start to heal from the inside out. And you know, we're right now putting a pause button on so we can go inward to heal from the inside out. The Forgiveness piece, my goodness, how powerful is that? I, I, I recently glimpsed a like a 90-second interview with Maddie Packton, 
I think is his name. He was the actor who played Inigo Montoya in Princess Bride. Yep. And they were asking him, so Princess Bride has now been out for over 30 years or something like that. And they were asking him, they said, what's your favorite line in the movie? And he said, well, you know, of course there's hello. My name is, and he does it in the voice too. Yeah. And you killed my father, prepare to die. And then he said, you know, that was, and then he said, but I just recently, he was at the gym working out and the movie happened to be on and he's watching it. He's at a hotel gym and he goes upstairs to the room and his wife has it on. And he's sitting there looking at it and they have the, the captions are on there too. And he said, here he is in his fifties now watching the 20 something version of him acting the character. And he said, he says a line at the end of it that he obviously said it's on the film, but he doesn't remember being, being aware of. So it's the very end where buttercups jumping off and Andre the giant catches her. And then Wesley, the man in black is asking him about him becoming the dread pirate Roberts. And he says something about to the effect of I've been in the revenge business for so long that I don't know what life is like without it. And then the actor talks about how he thinks that's so true is because so much of our life will live withholding forgiveness, be in revenge. This person hurt me. So I'm going to live my life to, you know, maybe hurt them or whatever it is. And what a, what a dark cloud it cast on us. And I love that you, you brought attention to that. So for people who are, who felt that, who recognize that they need to forgive, that they need to start to go within. And what is the, what does the process look like? How do we begin to forgive? Um, so to, first of all, acknowledge that it's, it's going to be important. So that means you might have to have a belief shift because as you said, they, they are thinking, um, in a circular pattern and a circular story that says, you don't need that. Just forget that. Just let it go. Those are the language, those are the cute, you know, the things that you try to cue your brain with. Let it go. Put another Band-Aid on. Eat another donut. Have another affair. Uh, take some, take a line of cocaine. Um, go shopping some more. So, you know, you notice that, like, you have to rewire the way the brain is structured. Now, neuroscience says that we have neurosynapses in there that get, you know, um, coated with myelin sheaths when they're lit up. Okay, myelin is fat, fatty deposits, which make it like, you know, like cable, you know, like how fast can cable run? Well, how thick is the myelin or is the sheath around the cable? So we have to kind of reprogram and re-engage and reignite other neural synapses in order to get more myelin on those. So you see, it's kind of a deconstruction, reconstruction kind of concept. So where does somebody start? With the belief that, you know what, I need some help. How am I going to get there? I would love some help. Not only that I need some help, I deserve some help here. And what would my life, now you start to imagine, what would my life be like if I got some help? Whoa, what am I missing out? What does this cost me? What has carrying this forward cost me? Well, you can also, just like I strung together all those things, those aha, wonderful moments, you can string together path of um bad patterns too and you're not you can string the same amount so what that's cost us in your health and wellness in your spirituality maybe you you left the church or left your your um spiritual practices because of you're mad at the you're mad at the nuns i'm making this up i can make up a million stories about humanity right i've coached enough people so you you begin with the process where it's an awakening 
So you awaken and then you shift and you get some help and then you're ready to grow. And I could give a tip. A tip would be, um, you know, writing a, a letter of um, pain. So I, it's a forgiveness letter and then it's a gratitude letter. But the, in the forgiveness letter, you figure out who it is you want to forgive or who has wronged you the most, right? It could be a person. As I said, it could be an institution. It could be government. It could be whatever. And you're writing a letter of pain and you get it all out. You say what you need to say. No more stuffing. And you write it really. And sometimes it causes a lot of pain and grief and anguish and tears and sobbing. And then you draw a line in the declaration and you say, I no longer am willing to feel this, this, and this from this. And then you go on to say, and I now forgive you because I know it wasn't you. Right. And that's one piece of it. And then when you're, once you free, you free yourself from that. Now you replace it with a gratitude letter and then you write it and you say, dear John, you know, because you were in my life, I learned this. Mm -hmm. I became this. I wouldn't be who I am today. If mom, you didn't blank. I wouldn't be the amazing mother that I am today. If, without blank you know and now you have that gratitude letter. neither of the letters you need to send anybody but when you do them intentionally wholeheartedly i mean that was the beginning i did that with my parents actually and that was i was in my 40s dina you mentioned when we were talking beforehand that as a i think what would you say as a mind surgeon your i wish i absolutely love that phrase you realize that the antidote for most ailments is gratitude and joy, right? Can you expand on that a little bit? And what, what does that, you know, what does that prescription look like? Because we can't. I love exactly it. I love it. You were going to say that. I love it because, you know, if I was, if we had an infection, let's say, right, I would give you an antibiotic. You'd take it for three times a day. Right. Yep. So I'm, in, I'm prescribing gratitude and joy three, four times a day. So Absolutely. What does that look like? Gratitude isn't just like, oh, I'm grateful for. You don't just say it before meals. You don't just say it, um, but you live it from the time you open your eyes. You go around. I, this is what I do. I go around my home and I, I look for things to be like pickled and, you know, um, thrilled by. You feel it. You feel that vibrational energy where you're actually looking for the things throughout the day to be tickled by to be completely thrilled by. So if you're looking, okay, so what are, what are people doing? They're scrolling, scroll, 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 scroll. Don't stop and notice people complaining and being negative. Only stop on the things, it's a practice. Gratitude is a practice. Only stop on the things that tickle, make you feel tickled. Like, oh my God, when I saw your message, that's exactly how I felt. I said, I don't care, don't know this man, just met him today, I want in because I was tickled, my skin was tingly reading what it was that you were offering. So how can we find more of that more often? That's a practice and a decision and a choice that says, you know what, remember the story I told you about the oncogenes? You remember that? I believe that we have the ability to turn dis-ease on in our bodies. And we also have the ability to turn dis-ease off. Mm -hmm. 
So then gratitude. Find, looking for it, looking for it. Yeah, gratitude and joy are not only a prescription, but in some ways they're the light switch too. You talked about asking for help. And I'm wondering, why do you feel, um, why do you think or why do you feel whatever that, whatever is right for you, people may resist asking for help. And when people finally give themselves permission to, what is the benefit that comes from it? And what is your experience with all the people you've worked with? I can imagine that you've encountered more than a few who were very resistant to asking for help, whether it was ego, whether it was a, you know, family perception of respect or what it means to be a man or a woman or a father or a mother or a provider, whatever that is. And once they worked through that resistance and they got the help, how did life change for them? So I'm going to go to the, actually the more spiritual side and the metaphysical side of asking for Please. help first, because I feel like we're conditioned. First of all, we can be addicted to getting help by the way. And that means we don't have to do the work. So that's why I want to remove that thought process. What I'm really seeing, what I'm really saying is that you recognize overwhelm comes specifically because we think we have to do and be it all. And we forget that the moments of synchronicity that we've had in our lives was about this much us and this much universe. And so when I say get help, um, I mean, take, understand the laws of metaphysics that when you're in alignment for, with your own self, you know, your own self, your knowledge, your power, your, your visioning, your, your self-worth, your purpose on the planet, your biggest why ever, when you're in alignment with that, then the universe conspires to give you everything else you need. It just is, it's a, there's a flow. So awaken shift, grow, flow, be. So that's what I mean when I say sort of asking for help. Of course, I also mean, you know, get that other construct in there, which is, you know, a valued coach, a, a person that you really resonate with, that, you know, can get in there and help you pour out some of those, those beliefs that you're ready to change. That's very hard to do by yourself because you are sitting in the forest listening to your ego most of the time you know we can't change what we don't see we just can't we can't change what we don't hear and the value of of what i bring to the table or you bring as a coach is you're those eyes and ears for someone who's living in the forest and that is so freeing when we surrender to whoa i didn't even hear myself say that okay now what do we want to do about that so it's really about surrendering internally and surrendering to, I don't care if you call it God, Jesus Christ, you know, higher power, inner source, inner self, whatever it is, but surrendering to that first. You know, we just have a, a, a few seconds left here. So we have somebody, <clears throat> I, I hold space for this, that the, the person who needs to see and listen what you have to share is, is watching and listening at this very moment. They are in the forest. They are recognizing that there's some opportunities for them to change, to transform. 
whether it's their business, their relationship, their life, their health, and they're realizing that there is a universal prescription for the whole gamut, and that's going to be joy and gratitude. You and I both know how important it is to put action, things into action right away. And I want to give people, those folks who are listening right now and who are in that space, some actionables. If there was one critical action, the most important action that you would love for people to take as soon as they click off of here, what would that be? Oh my goodness. That's a tough one. Um, I would just say, sit still for five minutes and just let it, let um, the universe speak to you and give you guidance. Because hmm. then the answer will come to you. And the answer might be to connect with Jesse directly or connect with me directly. Or maybe there's a coach that you've met in your networking group, you know, in San Antonio, Texas, and you really valued them, but you were really scared. So reach out to them immediately, you know, get that help. And it doesn't have to be a coach. There's certainly counselors out there. I'm, I'm more of a fan of coaches um, for a particular reason, but sit for five minutes and just ask this question of yourself. What is the purpose of me, for me right now to ask for help? And then let the answer come to you. We don't ask enough empowering questions. And again, that's part of asking for help and the answer will come to you. Love that. Everyone, my goodness, are you going to want to rewatch and re-listen? Whether it is to really look at how going within and realizing that forgiveness and joy are on the other side of a doorway and to go through the one you need to knock on the other to understand that there's a wounds for all of us that may have been festering for some time. And we've been unbeknownst to us, been putting band-aids over and covering them, preventing them from healing that there's a universal prescription out there and it's not Tylenol. It's not Sudafed or any of those types of thing. It's gratitude and joy. And that the opportunity to practice that, to help you navigate through the forest of life, to help you just, find and enhance your moments is available to you right now. I love that the actionable, right? So when we think action, we think movement right away, putting something that the actionable Dina gave us was to sit still for five minutes. I didn't expect her to say that. And I'm so grateful she did because what it does is it nicely sums up everything she said about looking, instead of looking externally, because we're so quick to look outside to try to find the answers to sit and be present with yourself, to trust what's within. And what you might find in doing so is that those same little quiet whispers that you had as a child when you were 10, 12, whatever it was that you may have forgotten or learned not to pay attention to, they may just start whispering again. They may just start whispering again. They may lead you to the very door that you need to go and knock on, the very wound that you need to heal, the very place where you can start taking your new prescription your prescription of gratitude and joy. Dina, this has been absolutely magical, as are you. Thank you so, so much for sharing. Thank what you, a, Jesse. What a gift this has been. Thank you. We will see you next time, everyone, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to